As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, you're in a bit of a different setup today. You're currently sitting underneath a comforter. <laughs> Explain I, yourself. <laughs> I'm under a comforter. I'm baking. Um, I think by the end going. of this, maybe I'll be five pounds lighter, which is a good thing, especially around the holidays. But yeah. we're doing this on Tuesday afternoon. Um, so for everyone listening to the show on Wednesday, you're not going to hear anything about Tuesday night's games. I'm sorry. We could um, just make up some stuff. Well, we, we can talk about some of the teams. I just wrote a story about two of them that you wrote three years ago. So That's we right. have plenty I think, to we, write. I think we talked about that a little last week. Too, we will do so. an episode on that. I did get some interest on, on Twitter to write something. But I'm under this comforter because my daughter is running around like a maniac in the house behind me. And so I'm trying to keep this audio as clean as possible. These are the um, things I do for the show. Your professionalism knows no bounds. Uh, my dog will likely come charging into this house at some point and disrupt the entire podcast. And here I am. I'm not sitting under a comforter. Anyway, we digress. Um, like Paul said, we are recording on Tuesday. There are three games tonight. Uh, Nashville against Toronto and Philadelphia against New England to close out the first round in the East. And then the big one of this opening round, Seattle and LAFC out in the West. Um we will obviously not be talking about the things that happen in those games because they have not yet happened. So apologies for that. However, a lot happened over the weekend in MLS. Uh, seven games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And while, you know, from a pure footballing perspective, if you want to call it that, they might not have been the most aesthetically pleasing. They were wildly exciting. They were manic. It was great entertainment. I was screaming multiple times. Uh, my wife yelled at me to shut up a few times, and I, I deserved it. Uh, but the the entertainment value was off the charts. It started in the first game, really, with New England and Montreal, and Gustavo Bo scoring a fantastic goal with basically the last kick of the game to win it. Um, Nashville, Miami, that one was a was kind of a blowout. Um, so not huge entertainment how value dare there. You, how dare you not give love to Dax McCarty's 40-yard run down the middle of the park Pat blazing, Sorry. do you mean Derek Henry? Blaze Matweedy. 
Titans running back, Dex, Dax McCarty, just streaking down. He could go all the way, and he and he did. Um, so yeah, credit to Dax McCarty for scoring with his feet and not with his head. As the you know, he's like five seven, and he only scores headers. I don't, some things in MLS you can't explain. That's one of them. Um, but you get into Saturday, Paul, and I'm gonna just stop on this game because my God, man, Orlando City, New York City FC. I mean, I don't really know where to begin, except for that I've never, ever, ever in my life seen anything like that. And I love that about MLS, because I feel like every week or two, you can say that, not to the scale of Orlando and, and New York City FC, but, you know, weird things happen in this league all the time, <laughs> and it's kind of awesome. And what we saw on Saturday, unless you're an NYCFC fan, was in incredible that'll go down forever people will be talking about that match for the rest of time in mls um you wrote about it paul give me your thoughts yeah i mean i don't know like when i first signed up for that game i thought to myself like oh this is like a good one to sign up for like i have the historical context of orlando city's journey to try to get to the playoffs for the first time and like it'll be an easier one for me to write on a saturday afternoon and then as the penalty kick shootout happened, I was like, oh, my God, how am I ever supposed to distill this down into something in the written word? And and to make it worse, I had you going on Twitter and in our WhatsApp group chat just piling pressure on, being like, oh, don't worry, Paul Tenorio is going <laughs> to churn out a masterpiece. Hey, Paul, you got this. Like, totally messed that up. That was far kinder than what I was actually doing. I think I was like, I can't believe I don't get to write this. Paul, you jerk. You better you better do this game justice. You did. You wrote a fantastic article. For those who, who didn't read it, Paul got some great behind the scenes. And I just want to kind of go through a little bit line by line of what happened down the stretch of this game. So you had a goal for Orlando in the fifth minute. NYCFC equalized in the eighth. Um, and then not a ton happened the rest of the match. Pedro Gaese made some incredible saves to keep Orlando in it. But there weren't a ton of chances for either side. Um, and we we get to the latter portion of the match and, and Juan, spelled with an R, uh, decides to lose his mind. Like, completely. Yeah, like, he tried to get red carded and it didn't work. And so he said, you know what? Let me try again. And this and it time... Did it did work. <laughs> <laughs> he basically took off Anton Tinnerholm's head. Um, Tinnerholm then played for 20 more minutes. And then the doctor said, hey, you can't play anymore. Which, I mean... Like, given everything else that happened in that game, that hasn't been talked about at all, understandably so. But that was so weird. Like, it's like, hey, Tinnerholm, you got to come off. What was he doing for the last 20 minutes? Like, what happened there? I don't know. I don't think we'll get an explanation on that. So he took, tries to take off Tinnerholm's head. And then a few minutes later, Gary Mackay Steven gives him a little shove when they're both on the ground. And he kicks Gary Mackay Steven right in the knee, right in front of the referee. He gets a red card. More on that later. Yeah, can we pause here real quick? Yeah. You know, the sports world has been cringing, I think, at the thought of the injury that Drew Brees is going through. You know, 11 rib fractures suffered Mm -hmm. by one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Nothing compared to the rib injury suffered by Juan on that that exchange. (laughs) He he had an alien growing inside of his stomach. He had an alien growing inside his stomach. They brought out a wheelchair. That was my favorite part. The wheelchair came out. I thought Sam, I, I, that definitely was a moment that Sam shouted at home for sure when they, he saw the wheelchair at the tunnel. 
there were there was a lot of shouting going on at that portion of the game anyway they go into extra time i don't really recall any big chances for either team in extra time although taisho akindele missed a layup that would have won orlando city the game at the death in regulation so not a huge amount of chances in extra time kind of a dull 30 minutes for being honest um that was more than made up for in the shootout uh it, it starts normally enough right nycfc had a miss in there, Orlando had converted everything, and we're down to the final kick. NYCFC going first, Orlando going second. Pedro Gaese makes a save on Tati Castellanos. Game over. Oscar Pereja takes off down the tunnel. He's just sprinting down there. There's no way he even shook hands with anyone on the NYCFC staff. He's just sprinting down there for what looks like no apparent reason. Um, Paul found out the reason later on. Um, but for what looks like no apparent reason, Orlando's celebrating the fans in the stands because, of course, there were fans in the stands um, are going insane. And hold on, VAR, Gaese leaves his line by like an inch and a half a little bit early. Um, it gets called back. And because MLS is still operating under the rules, the 2019-20 IFAB rules, <laughs> it's an automatic yellow card. Gaese had picked up a yellow card, I believe in extra time. He is sent off. So Orlando are now down to nine men in this shootout because Ruan's already gone. Um, they try and sub on, because they have one more sub that they haven't used, they try and sub on Brian Rowe, the backup, backup goalkeeper. Alan Chapman, the referee, initially is like, yeah, that's okay. So he comes on. Then he's like, wait a minute. He comes off. I think he came back on a second time. And then they were like, actually, no. So Rodrigo Schlegel, because... You know, this weird situation, why not just, like, ramp it up with a crazy name like Rodrigo Schlegel? The backup right back who came on after Ruan was ejected, he's like, he's like, all right, I got this. He steps in goal. Um, Castellanos converts. He converts the retake. And But, you know, Orlando can still win. Nani, you know, Euro champion, I believe, in 2016. I think he was on that squad. He was. Portugal. Portugal international for years and years, Champions League winner with Manchester United, Orlando's star player. He steps up and he's got to convert for Orlando to win. Does he make it? No, of course not. Definitely screamed at the television when that happened. Sean Johnson Johnson came up with a huge save. Um, And then we go into, I think both of the six kicks were made, right? And then Schlegel Schlegel saved Guti, who's the, the Icelandic left back for NYCFC. He saved his kick. And Chapman blew the whistle like the game was over, and Orlando partied like the game was over, and MLS, the official Twitter account, tweeted that the game was over, and everyone forgot how to count. Everyone. Everyone forgot that Orlando still had to kick. <laughs> and eventually they remembered after probably a minute or a minute and a half celebration and everyone listening to this podcast already knows all of this, but I can't even resist. I just have to relive it. And Orlando makes the kick and finally um, gets to celebrate for real. Uh, third time's the charm on that one. Paul, give me some of the behind the scenes okay, details. That here's you the about. thing, man. If you have listened to this description of what happened, I love that, this. That lasted <laughs> almost as long as the 21 and a half minute penalty kick shootout lasted, <laughs> then I'm going to give you a reward for listening. And I'm going to give you some of the stuff I couldn't even fit into the behind the scenes of the article, which, you know, if you read my story, Oscar Preha sprinted to the locker room to go see Juan, who he wanted to comfort um, and let him know he won. And, um, you know, he had to get pulled back out by one of the Orlando City employees. And, 
you know, there's a couple of things that, that cracked me up that I didn't I didn't work into the story. First of all, I did have to ask Oscar if the conspiracy theories that he had a really bad bathroom break was the reason he ran up the tunnel. It was not. <laughs> it, was not it was not a bathroom nor cigarette break happening so, in the tunnel. So he says. So he says. Um, but what I loved about what Oscar told me is he comes back out and they're trying to sort out this this craziness with Brian Rowe and the goalkeeper, and Oscar's like, "Oh yeah, like I knew it wasn't allowed, but." You know, they, they let him go on the field, so I wasn't going to say anything. I just sat there like, hey, maybe they updated the rules and I didn't know anything about it, <laughs> which I just love. I um, mean, it's totally just the classic Orlando, by the way. The team admin just like screaming at the referees for like five minutes about how this sub is allowed when it's not allowed. And it's just like, I don't know. I was watching this match, Paul, and I'm like, Orlando, nice story. You know, go- really good season. Parejo's first year, he's done a great job. And then Ruan decides to just, like, go insane and try and kill people. And the bench is just, like, losing its mind over an illegal sub that they're trying to make. And I'm like, you know what? This is this is why, Orlando, this is why you can't have nice things. <laughs> but they won. They do have a nice thing. So credits to them. <laughs> Pretty fantastic game to watch or ending of a game to watch. Um, and I think also, like, definitely has the possibility of being the type of performance that that leads Orlando City on that unprecedented run through the postseason that happens to one MLS team every single year where you're just like how is this happening right like double post for the Timbers was was a part of their wild ride like every year something strange happens and a team that you don't expect to go all the way through goes all the way through I think the 16 Sounders got a goal that was maybe offside maybe wasn't some extra time shenanigans against the Galaxy and Nelson Valdez and they I mean, even, all the way even you look at like Portland, Columbus, the year they won where like the goal in MLS Cup, the ball was out of bounds. And like, it's yeah. just always weird stuff that happens to certain teams. Like, that's just part of it. And I the whole time I'm watching this stuff go down. And then, you know, like I had to write on deadline. So I was just, you know, sweating worse than I am right now underneath these these blankets. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> man, Orlando City is going to make an MLS's back like run through this playoffs i don't know i i'm getting those mls is, is crazy vibes we'll see are you serious this time because i think we discussed this on the last show how you were like just a, a faker yeah, you but were we poser. already established last show that i was seriously picking orlando to win and they seriously won this time so we can't even really pick that game because we're doing this on tuesday afternoon and the Phil- the philadelphia new england game still is yet to be played um but uh yeah i don't know i don't i'm not picking that game yet no, I'm not asking you to pick that game, but you just sort of did. You're like, Orlando's going to make a run to MLS Cup. Uh, on a real note, this does feel like a like it's been a turning point season for Orlando, and this is like a turning point moment on top of that turning point season, right? This is something, okay, not only did they make the playoffs, they've won a playoff game. They've advanced. I guess technically they drew the playoff game, but they have advanced. Um, they're into the next round. They're going to be down two starters, including their goalkeeper, <laughs> because of red card suspensions. Um, but that's real tangible progress for them to, to cl- cling on to ahead of 2021. And it's another big, big step for that club. Um, and I'm happy for those fans. You know, they've been through that with for, for thick and thin, mostly thin, um, and they deserve a nice outcome. It would have been awesome a full stadium for that game would have yeah. been amazing. Uh-huh. That is a great crowd, but sadly, COVID. I'll go out on Here a limb are. and say that if if we were able to operate under normal circumstances with normal crowds, that Orlando City would be the toughest playoff home at hit field advantage that there is to play in. If they had home home seed, it would give them the biggest advantage of any team in MLS. Hmm. 
Um, not a fun place to play. I don't know if that's true. I I do agree that the crowd would be the best. The the lone exception to that, I guess, would be two lone exceptions, New England and New York, because New York's such a miserable place to play NYCFC on that field. Yeah. And New England also, same reasons. But from as far as atmosphere, I don't think, I, I think it's, I've always said this, I think it's the most genuine, like, quote unquote, like football crowd you know like they don't it's got, cheer. It's got like a south american flavor to it they, like, they just don't cheer like yeah. like if you go like if you go to portland and they're losing three nothing and i'm sorry portland fans you're gonna hate me after this but like they sing their songs He's right though they don't yeah. they don't change their songs which they don't, is cool like that's cool it's great it's, but a, like, it's a different there's vibe, a difference though. in energy yeah, that's yeah huge in orlando right you yeah. know when the home team's losing and you know when they're winning and like you know who they like and they don't like, and like Justin Merrick can tell you, you could be on their team and they won't like you, and you'll know it. You know, so it's, it's <laughs> there's just a, a nastiness vibe. there. There's a nastiness there that doesn't exist in other other it's a, MLS. It's, it's just a little Central Florida vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's gonna like wear a tank top and like maybe it hasn't showered in a few days, and then it's gonna rip that tank top off and get really drunk and like vape a little bit in the stadium, and then like rush the field or close to the field when there's a goal it's awesome it's florida it's fantastic how do you like those stereotypes pretty good did i just disparage your hometown too hard i i like that by the way it's a compliment well you you know as a as a florida native i, I know you do so i, I used to live in florida too even though paul you know is from orlando he is of the place i just i just spent some time there um anyway <laughs> anything else you want to get off your chest about about the lions and the and the roar no, from Orlando. I think, I think we're good on that. But but I will say um, also, I think I just want to do a quick shout out to, to Pro, which decided to sideline Alan Chapman's crew for the rest of the playoffs. We don't typically see. Actually, you know, sorry, continue. But I've I've bone to pick about this. Well, I just think that like we very rarely see any sort of punishment happen in any sort of way to the referees. And. In this case, they did it. Now, I also would like to note that, like, I think that historically Alan Chapman has been the best or the second best referee in MLS behind Alan Kelly, who typically has the most control over the games that he refs. So I was a little bit surprised by the chaos that ensued, but I also didn't expect anything to happen from a league level. Like, I did not expect, like, anything to be said about it. So... Neither did I. That never happens. So that was kind of interesting. But, Paul, I have a question. What did he get wrong? Well, he whistled for the game to be over before it was over. Okay. But clearly it wasn't over. And that was an error that was immediately correctable. Yeah, it but was it was corrected. on national television. There was like a minute-long cele- premature celebration caused by that. that. They allowed the referee to go That wasn't caused by the whistle. That was caused by Orlando freaking out because a field player saved a, a shot. They also allowed Brian Rowe to make it all the way to the goal line, get lined up for a penalty kick, almost mm-hmm. have the penalty kick taken before they stopped. But, but they didn't. Just because outcome, you correct something you got wrong doesn't mean you didn't get it wrong. They didn't, they didn't get it wrong. Nothing happened. There was just a delay. Yeah, but the delay was it does, Sam. We're not going to debate about this on our podcast. We've already spent like 19 minutes debating or talking about Orlando City. I'll talk about Orlando City versus NYCFC for this entire show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you try to I'm take I'm just saying, Alan movie. Chapman, at the end, nothing was wrong. How many times in MLS have we seen incorrect decisions affect games, affect playoff games? Nothing actually was incorrect here at the end. Was there a delay? Yes. Was it sloppy? 100%. I'm not saying he shouldn't be disciplined. I just thought the level of outrage about it was kind of weird. I'm not talking about... I didn't have any outrage about it. I just thought that, like, it was not the best advertisement for the league. And I think that Pro took it upon themselves to say, okay, we're going to just say that presentation matters. And it does matter. Realistically, it does matter. Now, the hard part is, like, again, I said, like, Alan Chapman is one of the better referees in the league. And, you know, I I think you have some relationship managing that you have to do, employee-employer management here. And referees aren't used to being told that that they got something wrong, you know, in a public manner. So all sorts of They are used to getting yelled at a lot. They so, get, you yeah, know, they do. That's true. <laughs> I think you can take the heat. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just it was all a little bit much for me. Um, and and you can say it's a bad look and some people will claim it's embarrassing. But I think that these types of shenanigans are like the biggest selling point for MLS. Like I said, you know, weird things happen in this league. You, I feel like you can watch MLS and every week or two you are going to see something that you have literally never seen in any sporting event in your entire life and it's not good it's not bad but it's definitely weird and this would fall into that category for me and this is part of the charm man embrace it embrace the weirdness like i get like okay you want to be professional in certain ways but like part of the charm is the bizarre nature of things that happen on the field and the single elimination format credit to the league for switching to that plays into this big time um and i think we saw that well, if I, I, I was just going to say, like, I think, Sorry, like, just real quick, I, I, I know you had mentioned this before we started recording, and I think you should expand on it. It's just that, like, you don't think that the 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 league leans in hard enough on the crazy stuff no. that happens. Well, I think MLS is in this really weird spot, right? So, like, you know, and I may have mentioned this on a previous show. Like, 10 years ago, was the soccer as good as it is now? No, it wasn't. But you had some real characters in the league right? It wasn't super professional. (laughs) Um, It wasn't, it wasn't like everyone was like on this like good nutrition and like there weren't many millionaires and it was just kind of like ragtag, but that made it fun and relatable in a lot of ways. And now we're starting to spend more money, uh, starting to see better facilities, better infrastructure, uh, better crowds, better stadiums. All that stuff is great, right? Don't get me wrong, but I think it's taken a little bit of the personality out a little bit of the character I think has, has fallen by the wayside in MLS. Um, and it's still not like this great soccer league, right? It's still growing. So it's not like you're going to tune in for this incredible soccer. Um, but maybe you tune in for an incredible story. And I think that's what we see in the playoffs. And I feel like that's a little bit lost during the regular season compared to say 10 years ago. 
Well, there may not be a ton of great characters left, but there is at least one great character left. And that great character is somebody that you profiled just before his game this weekend. And we actually got a Twitter request to give Wando more love on this show. And I'm like, we have like the personification of Wando love as a co-host of the show. So that won't be a problem. Um, That's the nicest thing anyone's said about me ever. Assuming you were talking about me, I am talking about you. It's not me. I love Wando, but I'm not the person. I mean, you're recording. I can't even see your face on the Skype video call because you're underneath the comforter. So I feel like that's that's got some Wando energy to it. Just that that that's such a dangerous clip that you just provided to Taylor just then that you can't see my face because it's under the comforter. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have repeated it. Sorry. Go go ahead. I don't know why it's dangerous, but okay. Anyway, moving on to Wando, to San Jose versus Sporting Kansas City. This game, I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday um, about kind of the weekend. And, like, I I was making the analogy that this game sort of felt like a hangover. Like, Orlando versus, versus NYCFC was like a rave, and you decided to take acid and ecstasy at the same time. And, like, things got really, really weird. And then for New York Red Bulls versus Columbus, which immediately followed Orlando NYCFC, you just fell asleep. And then you woke up and it was time for San Jose versus Sporting Kansas City. And somehow you were transported from Central Florida to Kansas, but you woke up there. You had no idea how you got there. And you're like, okay, I'm going to make a go of this day. I'm going to try and get some stuff done. And you just can't. You're stumbling around. You're trying really hard, but you're like falling all over the place. You smell. Your breath stinks. Um, you know, you're really slap happy and you're laughing, um, but you can't laugh for too long because if you laugh for too long, you're going to barf. Um, that's what this game felt like to me. Um, it was really weird at the beginning. San Jose was just like, is this a soccer game? Are we here? And Kansas City was like, yes, here, we're going to take that goal. They should have put them away in the first 15 minutes. They did not. They let them hang around. San Jose then scored, I think, two before halftime. It ends 3-3, and we'll have more on the ending in a bit. But to me, it felt like everything was happening in a fog for both teams. It was a really choppy game, and it sort of felt like everything was happening by accident. I know I got pretty weird with this right now, but this is how that game felt to me. I just want all of the (laughs) listeners of this show to realize that every Monday... At The Athletic, we do an editorial call where we go through our pitches for the week, the stories we're going to work on. And you guys just got a preview of how weird Sam gets with it, right? Like, yes, he's working through the machinations of an idea. And then eventually it lands to, like, a great story that you all enjoy in the public. But this is how it starts. And so credit to our editors who who (laughs) focus that energy into into stories. Are you not entertained? (laughs) Um, Everyone has their own process, you know, and this is mine. Um, and, and so anyway, the end of this game, oh my God, cause the second half was, it was garbage. It was not fun. It was not good. It was just kind of like meandering. And then in like the 89th minute, things just popped off. So Chris Wondolowski, um, who, as Paul mentioned, I, I profiled with, with our colleagues, Matt Pence and Chris Camrani uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, he gets loose in the box in the 89th minute, like he's done a million times in his career and pinpoint cross right on his head, free header inside the six. He puts it on frame. He doesn't put it straight at Amelia, but he doesn't really put it in a corner either. And Amelia makes an incredible reaction save to push that thing off the post. A minute later, Sporting goes down the field. 
Johnny Russell clips one down the left for Gerso Fernandez. He beats his man to the end line, puts in a low cross. Kyrie Shelton, who has been invisible this entire match with an incredible layoff to John Luca Busio, 18-year-old homegrown. He comes in, takes a touch, puts it home. You're in stoppage time already. You think game over. Not so fast. Wando, your heart broke for him, right? This might be his last game ever. This might be his last game ever, and he has this miss, and his team's going to go out. No. 97th minute. They're only supposed to be four minutes of stoppage time. <laughs> 97th minute. He gets free again. Almost exactly the same spot he was the first time. Um, almost the cr- across from almost the exact same spot the first one came through. And this one he puts away. Uh, so incredible finish to that. Goes 3-3. I think Sporting took one touch on the kickoff, and the referee blew the final whistle. So you go into extra time. And Paul, I, I saw you put your hand up. What, what do you got? Jump in here, please. No, I was just I was just going to say that I hope, you know, at some point at the end of this uh at the end of this game summary that we discuss just the amazing messages that have been sent in the aftermath of this game by the two most important figures of the San Jose Earthquakes right now. Oh, yeah, we're not done yet though, Paul. Come on, man. I'm Be sorry. Patient. I was I Be was patient. I didn't expect you to acknowledge my hand raise that quickly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not acknowledging you more. It's a fault of mine. Okay. <laughs> I also want to acknowledge while we're acknowledging things that San Jose scored their first two goals off of Roberto Punchech's face and then off of his foot. Like, because of course, like it's just the quakes. This is how they do things. Um, anyway, another extra time period that not much happened in, not a ton of chances there, unless I'm misremembering. And then you get to the shootout and Tim Melia shootout King. Three shots, three saves. Sporting converts all of their attempts. Game over. Fastest shootout in MLS history. Never in MLS history had a team failed to score in a shootout. It had only happened once to an MLS team in Open Cup play. That was back in 2010. Charleston Battery against the Chicago Fire. That one was also over after three shots. Paul, you know who the goalkeeper was for Charleston that day? I have an idea. It was Tim Melia. The guru. Um, Can I also just say that in the aftermath of that amazing goalkeeping performance in the penalty kick shootout, my favorite part by far was Orlando City fans who had won their game, had won their game, were angry that Tim Melia wasn't yellow carded for stepping off the line, that the game wasn't stopped. They were screenshotting shots of Tim Melia in midair, so you can't really tell is he off the line, is he on the line, because he's up in the air. And and sending it around, and I'm thinking to myself, you guys won. It's still the same. Guy say did get red carded. He's gonna miss their next game. So I, mean, I get why they they're got wronged. Salty. I mean, they didn't really get wronged. It was breaking the rule, but like there there was nothing really definitive about that. I just it just adds on to what we talked about last show, which is that this MLS playoff really is just a ranking of people who have been overlooked and underappreciated and Orlando <laughs> wanted to make sure that they inserted themselves near the top of that ranking the chip on the shoulder power rankings exactly yes the chip rankings um so anyway i mean by the way that 2010 game between chicago and charleston i was there oddly enough i remember almost nothing from it the day before i had been in boston visiting a friend um, who was doing it. I was in college at the time. He was doing an internship there. Another friend and I had driven out and spent like three days in Boston. We watched the USA lose to Ghana in the 2010 World Cup. And I covered a fire revs game at Gillette Stadium. And I, we were supposed to drive back together, my friend and I. 
that I had driven out there with. And then he decided the morning that we were leaving that he was like, you know what? I'm just going to fly back. And I was like, great. I have to drive all this way by myself one day. And uh, so I did that. And then the next day I was at Toyota Park. I believe it was my birthday, in fact. And it was just like the most dreadful 0-0 game. I remember Tommy Heineman, I think, running around with his big hair for Charleston and like nothing happening. And then the fire losing. Um, so, yeah, that was a weird, a weird day. Anyway, I've gone on far too long on that, <laughs> on that little thing. <laughs> Tell us um, more. We're just, you know, we're just getting weird with it today. Um, I don't even know where I was going to go after this. Well, I think, you know, what we know is that Sporting Kansas City advanced. And we do know that. <laughs> and I think that we should go, you know, out of that game, a couple important things happen. First of all, it sets up a pretty good matchup in the next round. Sporting Kansas City against Minnesota. Oh, um, uh, yeah. The United, Midwestern Which, nice which I think will be a pretty good game. But more importantly, in the last few days, we've seen some reports and in the post-game press conference. First, Wando says in the post-game press conference, yes, I would like nice. to come back. Money doesn't matter. The number of minutes I play don't matter. I want to see that there's an indication that this team is going to try to win and now and in the future. Amazing quote. He's basically saying, like, I'm leveraging the, my legend at this club to try to force change and force some kind of spending to happen in San Jose. Yeah. Then Almeida, in an interview down in Mexico, says, essentially, I think it was Mexico. It might have been Argentina. I think it was Argentina. And Argentina says, I'm going to be back in San Jose. I think I'd like to be back, but, I, but our owner spends at the very bottom of the league, and we have no, we, it's not even comparable to what other teams spend on their, their teams. Incredible amount of pressure on San Jose Earthquakes' ownership within days of being eliminated from the playoffs. Hours. And, and it's really, truly an ownership group that deserves every bit of that pressure because I believe that San Jose is a market that can be far more successful than they have been. It's a homegrown territory that should be far more fruitful than it has been. And they have a great coach. And, you know, it's not enough. That's got, Now, they have a ton of bad contracts that they, they had to work through over the last couple of years, many of which are coming up at the end of this season. Let's see what they do. Let's see what they do. But I, I have to give respect to Almeida and Wando for going out immediately and basically being like, hey, it's on the ownership to make this happen. Yeah, 100% is John Fisher the main owner out there in San Jose, uh, part of the family that started the Gap clothing store. Um, they haven't done enough. That club has suffered from neglect for a long, long, long time. And basically ever since they came back. I mean, Wando said it after the match. You know, somebody asked him, what was he thinking when he was getting emotional out there after the loss? And he was like, I was thinking that I've made the, the playoffs four times in the last 12 years. And that is like... <sighs> It's so bleak in MLS to make the playoffs four times in 12 years when you have the best scorer in league history on your team for that entire time. Uh, which means you're, which means uh, you, I mean, you've got great amount of cap space because you're not paying Wando yes. the way you're paying Joseph Martinez. No, you know, you're getting a deal on the most important asset that there is in soccer. And they, they didn't do anything with that. They didn't it's do pathetic. anything with that. Um, they won one supporter shield, which like if we're being real, it was never sustainable. And they sort of got lucky. And it was great. It was magical uh, back in 2012. But they lost in the first round of the playoffs that year to the Galaxy. So, not so great in San Jose. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. But I think we can fast forward past Minnesota, no disrespect. Pretty convincing win over Colorado. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just giving them ammo to stay on the top of the disrespect rankings. The chip rankings, <laughs> number one in the chip rankings. Hey, shout out to my, my guy, hot boy, Kevin Molino. Uh, yeah. Two goals constantly disrespected on this show by Sam Stacepool. What? Uh, what? Despite the <laughs> amount of respect I give him. just, just it's not true. <laughs> absolutely trashed by Sam Stacepool all the time. But, you know, just continue scoring goals and impacting games. It's fine. You don't need Sam to believe in you, Kevin Molino, hot boy. Three nothing Minnesota in the win Why over are you Colorado. Lies? Stop lying. <laughs> so well, let's move on to the the big upset of this first round, Sam. And let's talk a little bit about Portland and Dallas. I think I don't know if I want to talk about it. We I'm have so to start by you're lying. I, I think you know the result was uh, Dallas advancing on penalty kicks after a one-one draw. And I wonder, Sam, how much of an upset is this, considering what Portland has gone through this season with the injuries that they had to two of their designated players, season-long and indir- season-ending injuries. You know, we both went into this game saying Portland are still the favorite. Portland should still win this game. And Dallas talked about that a lot in the pregame that everyone was still counting them out. Um, they pull off the, <laughs> the win, chip the rankings. chip rankings, the chip rankings. They definitely were ranked above Portland, though Portland was trying to get in on the chip rankings, too. You know, Dallas, I think, was above them. And Dallas pulled uh, off the win. Portland, upset please. or not an upset? Yeah, I don't think anyone picked Dallas. I didn't. See, I don't remember any seeing anyone pick Dallas to win this game. Of course, it's an upset. Uh, Portland is a talented team. They were playing at home, and they didn't really do much. Dallas came out, and they sat back. They didn't try and get forward that much. Uh, They tried to make things difficult for Portland, and they did. That eventually broke down with a fantastic team goal that Jorge Villafania finished very nicely, I might add. 
uh, in around the 80th, 81st minute. And you think, okay, that's that. It's going to be done. But Portland, their Achilles heel all season has been closing out games. And they failed to do so really simple, just off of a goal kick. Um, Dallas wins it, second ball. Matt Hedges playing in an advanced position, loops it over the top, and Ricardo Pepe just runs past the two center backs. And he's in on goal for a one-on-one, and he finishes it. Um, They go to penalty kicks. Paul, I want to say this. I think that's the best penalty kicks in a shootout I've ever seen in my life. Incredible, incredible finishing in a penalty shootout by both teams. From both teams. Fantastic stuff. Like every single kick including the final one that got saved, which was Viafania, the goal scorer, um, were really strong. Like, really strong. <laughs> like, some of these guys are, like, blasting top corner rockets, and the goalkeepers are just like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> the best is, like, we were watching live, and as, like, center backs walk up, you're like, oh, yeah, this is going over the top. I love, like, no, no, I love center back penalties. Center back penalties forever, man. I, and I'm a little biased, because, like, I play center back on my on my... My my joke teams, my men's league teams, I fancy myself a little bit of a center back. And center backs, they just go up there, they pick a spot, and they drill it. Like, they just kick it as hard as they can. A lot of times you see them go down the middle, which I love, because the goalkeeper's always diving. They never just stay put, so just go down the middle. Love that. Um, I love center back penalties. Stop your slander, Tenorio. I mean, they were fantastic penalties. It didn't matter what position you played. If you were taking so a penalty good. in this game, I mean, it was beautiful. Rito Ziegler, a center back, got subbed in to take a penalty. Like, that's why he was in the game. Amazing great. stuff. Amazing um, stuff. And now and now you've got an FC Dallas team. And I, I want to give credit to Lucci, um, Lucci Gonzalez, the, the coach at FC Dallas. Late in the game, needing a goal to get back in. Subs in Tanner Tessman and Ricardo Pepe, two home Tessman came players. in in the 60th minute. He played half the game. Yeah, I mean, but you, you're going yeah. and you're, you're counting on two, two homegrowns and two DPs were left on the bench. Yeah. And I think that's both a credit to a coach who's who and, a, and an organization who trusts their homegrowns. Also, a little bit of an indictment of, of how DPs have Huge gone in, in Dallas Huge historically. It's not just a yeah. one-year thing. But, you know, Pepe is a guy who I think is, uh, you know, a, certainly a future U.S. national team prospect. And um, in a big moment, he did not look his age. He looked, he was quite composed. I mean, the initial shot got saved, um, came off the crossbar, and he was there to put in his own rebound. And... Um, by yeah, the way, he was denied. That. He was denied a few minutes before his goal on a header by an incredible save from Steve Clark. Um, so he could have easily scored prior to that. Um, I like Pepe. I thought him and Tessman were really good, as you mentioned in that match. Um, and I do just want to hammer this point home. Um, if da- Dallas really missed with Acosta and with Mascara and with Coleman before that. Um, and with a few other DPs before that. And they're not shopping it for high-end DPs compared to other teams. But when you miss on DPs, um, they're lucky that they have a good academy. I guess not lucky, um, but it's good for them that they have a good academy. That's why they've been able to make the playoffs a lot of these years. But if you could combine that academy with actual hits on your DP signings, then you can be more than a six seed, and you can be more than a team that looks to spring an upset in the first round. Maybe you can be what Philadelphia has been this year, which is the supporter shield winner, and what Dallas was. Well, I was going to say five, well, six what years they ago. look like with Mauro Diaz and Fabian Castillo, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. It makes a difference when you hit on those those players. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what Dallas looks like going forward. They're going to play the winner of LAFC and Seattle. Um, I think they'll be the underdog in that one too. So you know, keep rising up those chip rankings. Um, 
I think that's it for matches. Did we miss any that we wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I do. I do want to kind of go back and do some postmortems on a few of these teams. And we'll start Friday night from the beginning um, with Miami. Really disappointing season, I think. There's no other way to slice it. Finish in 10th place. Spending amount, the amount of money that they spent um, and to finish in 10th and to lose in the first round, 3 nothing and get walked all over. I know they were missing two or three of their biggest guys because of COVID, and that's really unfortunate, and it makes the week of training beforehand impossible. Um, but nothing other than a massive disappointment, and I think you're going to see some pretty big changes there this winter. Um, Paul, what do you expect out of, out of South Florida? Uh, over the offseason. Look, Sam, I think, like you said, no doubt disappointing for Miami. I think this season kind of was a an example of how things have gone for Miami since the start. You know, they they took years to get ready to be able to get into MLS. They had things go wrong with their stadium site. They had things go wrong with their coaching search. It went down to the last minute and, and before they hired Diego Alonso. They had a roster build that was interrupted by COVID um, that altered, I think, their their certainly their roster build because later on we we know that they got Matuidi and Iguain on free transfers from Juventus that probably wouldn't have happened prior, which means that they probably would have had two different players with that TAM money and with that, uh, that third DP slot. And I just think they never really looked like they had an identity. You know, they never really looked like they had an idea of how they wanted to play or who they wanted to be. Even when you look at those signings early on with uh, Carranza and Pellegrini, neither of whom really showed anything close to what they were hoping to get out of those young players. But then you flash forward, they're also the polar opposite of types of signings from Matuidi and Higuain. You know, two young prospects versus two aging stars. Um, so, you know, typically you see a team go one way or the other. And, and this year with Miami, we saw a team take both tracks. Um, so I think, you know, when you look back at this season for Miami, I think it's kind of clear that going into next year, they need to have an identity. They need to say, this is who we're going to be. This is how we want to play. And they need to go fill up the roster, you know, based on that identity. And I think when you look at that team, you know, anyone who watched that team play say says that they were, not athletic enough. I mean, when when Dax McCarty can make a 40-yard run through the middle of your field and not get chased down from behind and not have anyone able to, to step up and make a play in that moment, that, that shows some problems in midfield. And I think we know all year long that they kind of struggled at outside back as well. Um, ben Sweat wasn't great, you know, who I thought was a pretty serviceable left back for NYCFC under Patrick Vieira. Wasn't, wasn't really great this year. Um, they used Nico Fagal at right back. Um, at times, I mean, they, as well. they, yeah. yeah, they needed they needed um, two starting fullbacks. Alvis Powell was starting by the end, who you know is not the greatest, not the greatest right back in MLS. So um, there are some big decisions to be made there because you're talking about some really important positions in in this in this sport. Um, you know, fullback I think has taken on a lot bigger of a role in most teams, and certainly central midfield. Um, we know we know how important that that spot is. So. I think, you know, but for me, I'm going to be watching Inter-Miami to see, you know, what 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 do they want to be? Who who do they want to be? How do they want to play? I, I don't know that we saw that this year under Diego Alonso. Uh, and I don't know that he'll be back, by the way. That's not based on any reporting, but I would not be at all surprised if they made a decision to change coaches there. Um, moving on from Miami, I wanted to talk about NYCFC briefly as well. Club still has not advanced out of the playoffs 
Uh, they've made it now five straight years. They've been a really good regular season team. They were the hottest team in MLS down the stretch. Uh, and once more, they fall short at the biggest time of asking. I do think they're in a really good position this winter, though. The team got used to Ronnie Dyla uh, in the offseason. Um, they still have a CCL game to play as well, so their season isn't done. Um, but they got used to, to Ronnie Dyla after a pretty rough first half. And they're going to have two open DP spots this winter. Jesus Medina is going to be bought down with Tam. And Alex Matriza, you know, is in Saudi Arabia and not on the books out there on loan. So they're going to have some real flexibility. Uh, I'm going to be very curious to see what they do with that. If they try and bring in a name like they started with, perhaps. If they go keep on the current path of kind of younger DPs. I thought Jesus Medina really performed a lot better down the stretch than he had basically since Patrick Vieira left the team. Um, so I thought that was encouraging. Um, they have good pieces there. I think they're going to be a very good team next year. And I think if they make two hits on those two DP spots they have available, um, could be a contender for shield and maybe cup if they can ever get over that playoff hurdle. Yeah. Super interested. Like you said, to see what direction city football group goes and NYCFC goes with those two DP spots. We, we know they kind of made a clear move away from the, Lampard, Pirlo, David Villa model, you know, do they go super young? Do they go with players in their prime? You know, Matrita, I think, you know, but I think also you look at where they've been shopping, you know, not exactly in the biggest markets for players. Um, they've kind of been looking for more diamond in the rough type players. Do they stay in that area or do they go for an established an established star, even in a little bit of a lesser league, but an established star in kind of the more familiar leagues? Um very, very intriguing. But I, I agree. I think they're in a good position. I like that roster. They perform well. I think they were playing good soccer under Ronnie Dela by the end of the year. Um, certainly expect them to be back in contention in the East next year. Another team in New York owned by a broader football conglomerate. Of course, the Red Bulls. I think lots of uncertainty there. Gerhard Struber took over as head coach in the final game. That did not work. He made some I think questionable lineup decisions, it's fair to say, um, given what they were doing down the stretch and the changes that he made. Uh, they lost to Columbus 3-2. to two. It was 3-1 to one until late. They got a goal in stoppage time, I want to say. Game was closer. The scoreline looked closer than, than the game actually was. Columbus controlled most of that. I have no idea where this team's going to go this winter. Drew Yearwood is a DP. I don't know that he can be bought down with Tam. Um, and other than that, you have Kaku and Danny Royer and Aaron Long and Tim Parker and without being too disrespectful, a bunch of guys. Um, and they have some major decisions about what they want to be. Uh, and that's not a decision I don't think that's going to be made in New York. I think that's going to be made in Leipzig. Um, and it's sort of the same as NYCFC, just on a different level of okay, this is going to fit into the Red Bull global brand, but how ambitious are they going to be within the constraints of that kind of system and of MLS? Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see what Struber and Kevin Thelwell, the sporting head of sport, excuse me, um, do in their first full season together. Just from an allocation disorder perspective where we talk about roster building, I look at that team, if I'm a GM in any other league and I look at what's gone on there and I think I'm calling Red Bull about trades. I'm calling Red Bull about trades, even for established guys, right? Because you have to think that they're going for something that resembles a total rebuild. And usually when that happens, it means there are some pretty good players at who might be available. 
So I think if I'm a GM of uh, of another team in MLS and I have needs and I want domestic guys or guys who I know what they do in MLS, that that I make some phone calls to Red Bull. Uh, my expectation is that we see a much different looking team next year. But um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. It just feels like when you have a new GM and a new coach who comes in, typically the team looks drastically different the next year. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's fair to say that they're going to go out and sign a striker <laughs> at the very least. Um, we, I, I think we're just going to continue blowing over Minnesota and Colorado. Sorry, Rapids and Loons fans. But I do want to talk about Portland for a second. Weird year for them. MLS is back champions, which they will tell you is the only competition that mattered this season. Uh, I don't buy that, but um, certainly a nice achievement. Uh, but a disappointing end in the playoffs. Um, granted, they were down a couple of key guys due to injury and Abobasi wasn't fully available. So that's, that's a big thing. A big question for them is whether Felipe Mora comes back um, and kind of whether or not they're able to kind of gel a little bit more, play a little bit more on the front foot um, or, and, and if they're able to, you know, clean things up at the end of games, because that was a major bugaboo for them all year. Anything, anything on the timbers from you, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's always interesting when a team has a major injury, what they do when they have some time to figure out how to how to fix things, how to how to solve things around that. Now, you you don't necessarily need to replace the players, and I think in Portland, for example, you have a guy like Ibobase that you say, okay, we already are prepared um, at the striker position. We were ready for a major injury. We had the depth, right? But I think like if you look at Atlanta last year or you know at the beginning of this year joseph martinez goes down in march you have all this time to try to figure out how to fix the roster before mls is back and there was no real fix there right and so that became one of the many issues that plagued atlanta united and i think um, portland's just going to have some similar decisions to make of like okay we have some really good pieces here already we don't need to worry about too much right we, we saw that we could sustain without without blanco without nisgoda um, but it wasn't totally enough, right? So, like, I'm interested just to see what types of reinforcements Gavin Wilkinson goes and adds to this roster. Um, you have Valeri, you have you have Yumi Chara. Um, you've got really good pieces already on this team. Uh, where where does the money go? Where does the focus end up? Um, just I'm just kind of always fascinated to see how you factor in guys who are gone but are coming back, and how that impacts your roster build because you kind of it kind of means you have two different teams next season you have yeah pre-return yeah, from Blanco, injury and post-return from injury yeah because Blanco and Niazgoda will miss both of them will miss a significant chunk of next year I mean Niazgoda did his ACL on November 1st I think um, so he's going to be out most of next season uh, so yeah some interesting questions I don't think they really need to do too much to that roster there's reports that they have a left back coming in from Argentina whose name I'm blanking on right now um, already um, so maybe a reinforcement there, but I don't think they need to do a ton in Portland. Um, Paul, it is it is Thanksgiving this week. So, you know, why not just lean right in to that and talk a little bit about uh, what we're thankful for here uh, on a professional level as we uh, as we cover MLS and American soccer. I'll let you start. What are you what are you thankful for, Paul? I'm thankful for uh, Orlando City giving me such a dramatic and yes. ridiculous game giving you so much over the course of your so whole much life as an Orlando native work. of course of course i'm also thankful for what i think and hope will be a 2021 that is packed full of us national team uh it's it's one of the beats that i cover at the athletic um i absolutely enjoy it i think this team has a lot of great characters and 
pending vaccines and pending everything else, um, there should be a whole ton of U.S. men's national team in 2021. And I'm, I'm prematurely thankful for, for what that calendar looks like. You're thankful for the C-Team Gold Cup. I didn't say all of it. I said, you know, there's, there's a lot of World Cup qualifiers in the fall, man. <laughs> all right. I was just testing you. Um, I'm thankful for all of those things as well. I'm thankful for this cool platform that we have to be idiots and be weird and for me to go on long rambling journeys about how games are like hangovers and raves. Uh, that's definitely appreciated. Definitely grateful for that. Uh, and, and I'm grateful for MLS too. Uh, it's Nice to be able to talk about soccer for a living, uh, particularly in a league that, while sometimes makes me want to bang my head against the wall, uh, is as unique and as, I think, compelling off the field as it is on the field and as occasionally bat bleep crazy as MLS was this past weekend. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for you, Paul, to be here with you on the show. Um, and I'm thankful for all of you listeners. Thank you for listening. Uh, appreciate you, uh, riding and coming along on this journey with us. I hope all of you have a safe and festive as festive as possible. Anyway, holiday, and we'll be back next week at the normal time, most likely with another episode of allocation disorder. Until then I am Sam. He is Paul. Thanks for listening.